Yeah, we performed in the Navy on an outdoor stage at Queen's Park, and it was Pride Weekend. <laughs> but <laughs> I was like 12 years old, and I was dressed as a little sailor. Like, what? <laughs> did you... Did you... <laughs> I, have, I have so much to ask. Hi, I'm Trevor Campbell, and this is You Made Me Queer, the show where I sew some badges onto my coral pink members-only jacket and finally become the militant queer that your mother warned you about. That's right. Every episode of You Made Me Queer, I invite a hilarious LGBTQIA plus guest on to point the finger of blame at who and or what made them queer. That's the format. That's what I do. I'm doing it again. I'll do it next time. Any more questions? Yes, the woman in the back. I love your brooch. This has been a big week for You Made Me Queer. Why? I can't tell you. I can't tell you yet. What can I tell you? Um, We're going to have some very special guests on the show coming up. All of our guests have been special. Let me correct that. First of all, you get down off your beast of burden, be it high horse or Shetland show pony, and listen to me carefully. This is not just a platform for famous people. This is a platform for everyone with that. Being said, I'm very excited to have some big name guests coming up, including one who, as a child, when I was a child, not, well, I suppose they were a child as well at the time, made me queer. Yes, we are going right to the primary source, people. Put that in your bibliography, you academic butthound. How about that? I'm sorry, I have major PTSD from grad school, and the therapy's not getting it out. Hi, Jane. How are you? Uh, That's my therapist, by the way. She gets a lot of attention on this show. What else is new? Octopus Teacher won an Oscar. It won an Oscar over Crip Camp. Are you crazy? Did we both see the same films? I have not seen a lot of the Oscar nominees, which is why I did not yet watch the Oscars, because I just don't have enough of a plate of context. But my octopus teacher, also known from my episode with Gavin Crawford earlier as my octopus lover, my octopus teacher was fine. Was there a thesis to get academic again? I'm not convinced. C plus, maybe? Um, From the Wikipedia summary, my octopus teacher documents a year spent by filmmaker Craig Foster forging a relationship with a wild common octopus in a South African kelp forest. Who among us has not? He follows that octopus for nearly a year. (laughs) Nearly a year chortling around behind that octopus with a GoPro. And in the end, the octopus teaches him, uh, we're quoting Wikipedia again, A lesson on the fragility of life and humanity's connection with nature, which ultimately, allegedly, leads to a better bond with his son. Hey, (laughs) hey, here's an idea. I'm no dad, but instead of spending that past year underwater with a GoPro, why not, why not go kick a soccer ball around with your kid? 
or get the dolls out. I don't listen. You know I'm here for all of it. The fact is you ignored your child for one year to play with, uh, what is it, a mollusk? It's not a mollusk. To play, to play with a, a suction-cupped sea mammal who, in the end, did what? Died and had its, sorry, spoiler, died and had its body carried away by a shark. Uh, it spent a lot of that time hiding from you and basically became a cipher for your inability to connect with humans. And then at the end of all this, you have the audacity to tack on a save the environment message, which was wholly unearned. So congratulations on your Oscar, I guess is my point. Listen, I'm, I want to be a supportive person. I don't want to sow a seed of discontent. I'm certainly not jealous. I wasn't nominated for an Oscar, so that's not where this is coming from. I like to imagine a media spectrum where we can all coexist just without an Oscar for my octopus teacher. Now on to today's show. Today is Lucky episode 13 and boyo boyo. Today's guest is Johnny Walker. Not the blended scotch whiskey. Also, coincidentally, not my landlord, who is also named Johnny Walker. This is a completely different Johnny Walker, who is a playwright, a uh, hilarious person, a DJ, a actor. Uh, so many things. Johnny does so many things. Again, does not blend scotch whiskey, is not my landlord. Why don't I paraphrase Johnny's bio to get this party started? Johnny Walker is a queer writer and performer from Toronto. Hey, that's where I am right now. Uh, Johnny's best known for his solo show, Redheaded Stepchild, which is fantastic. He really doubles down on his red hair. He's made it a brand, which you'll hear about in our interview. Uh, Johnny has toured North America, and his play is available in print from Playwrights Canada Press. NVD. His most recent play, Shove It Down My Throat, Rude, uh, premiered at Buddies and Bad Times Theatre in 2019. Johnny wrote, directed, and starred in the short film Saturn Devours, uh, and has spent over a decade writing and hosting shows for Boylesque T.O., who are amazing. It is the burlesque troupe you've hoped for, dreamed of, and been wishing for with every penny you have thrown into a shallow pool of water. Boyless continue their shows over Zoom, so listen, get on that action. Uh, in pre-pandemic times, he was also a nightclub DJ for a very popular monthly queer hip-hop dance party slash drag show in Toronto called Hey Girl Hey, which is also what a gay horse eats. Ladies, am I right? Okay, this is a real fun one. Johnny is fantastic. We have a lot of things in common, which you'll find out, not limited to our medical history. But we also do share that. So listen, buckle up, uh, get a soft drink in your hand, maybe uh, a sweetened water. And without further ado, please enjoy my redheaded conversation with the one, the only, Johnny Walker. Yeah. I'm very pro-vax. Tell the people, Johnny Walker, <laughs> what vaxes should we be getting? I mean, I do you know, I think for me, it all comes from being a child, being told that I should just get chicken pox because it'll make me stronger. And at the time, I was like, I was old enough to be like, I remember getting shots for other things. Are you telling me there is no shot for chicken pox? And I believe that there was and they were like yeah we're just like not really giving it out like whatever it's fine i got chicken pox and it was fucking horrible like <laughs> it was it was fucking awful like i 
I just remember having, I had the pox around my ankles so badly that I could no longer walk. And I think it was about, you know, I don't know, five or six or something. Like I was well into my walking years <laughs> and I had like regressed. I could no longer walk. I had to be carried everywhere. I had to go and like have the calamine baths. This sounds like child polio. It was gross. I mean, I got over it. I still have chickenpox scars that never went away. And now I think our people, there is a chickenpox vaccine. I think at least some kids out there are getting vaccinated against it. I don't know. I'm not an immunologist. I'm sure there's must have been some wisdom in building up your immune system to a degree. Yeah. But go ahead. I had a really rotten time with chicken pox. I remember like the one thing that was keeping me going was that my parents had somehow scammed <laughs> sneak preview tickets to Ninja Turtles 2 Secret of the Ooze. And like, we knew that it was going to be like, I would be out of my contagion period, even though I would still be like, pretty sickly. And I was just like, I gotta see the secret of the ooze, no matter what it takes. It was like the only thing getting me through those dark days. So they just like wrapped you in tensor bandages and just like pulled you into that Cineplex Odeon? Yeah, yeah, that's what happened. And what a film. (laughs) Go Ninja, go Ninja, go. Go They peaked at number two. Number three was not so great. I will, I do have a few uh, stories that reminded me of, first of all, I had the same experience. I remember getting the calamine baths and we had a similar thing where one kid got chicken pox and they were like, let's throw all the kids into a pile and just let nature run its course. Yes. Yeah. This is what was done. Which, I mean, I guess like you're saying, I am also, full disclosure, not an immunologist. I stopped science after grade 10. Oh, me too. Oh, good. I mean, who needs it? You tell me one person who's used science for good. No. Yeah, so I don't know. Like, it just seems to me like a bit rolling the dice. Like, let's hope one of them doesn't have something worse. Yeah. Like, how do you know what these symptoms are? Yeah, no, I, I remember totally the same thing. Like, it was going around the daycare that I went to. <laughs> there was a birthday party that just, like, took out all of the kids. Right, when they, they knew, and they're like, no, you can go to that party. And I feel like there was a bit of a vibe that, like, ev- the parents were all kind of in on it. Yeah, share, <laughs> share the straw. Yeah, share a cupcake. So another thing, too, because I lived in Japan for a few years and when I was there, there was a disease which sounds way worse than it is called <laughs> hand, foot, and mouth disease. Oh my yeah, god. Yeah, which is basically like chicken pox and everyone gets it when they're a kid the exact same thing, but big Canadian me goes strolling over there, what's good? And of course my body has never encountered this specific strain of childhood disease and so just I got it from like a five-year-old and basically it's exactly what it sounds like where your hands feet and mouth are covered in sores you don't need to describe it to me <gasps> have you had i it? have also had adult hand foot and mouth disease a couple of years ago i got it from my best friend's baby <laughs> and it was the fucking worst you cannot walk no oh my god oh my god i kept describing to people too just like the sensation in your hands i felt like my hands could feel everything they'd ever done. <laughs> yes. Like, yeah. the sensitivity, the, like, if I washed my hands, I felt like my bones were getting wet. <laughs> it was disgusting. It's very invasive. You get a bit drippy. It kind of feels like you're slowly turning inside out. But then when it starts peeling, 
it's like you are covered in saran wrap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like you're like the skin on your hands is is just these wax gloves yeah. that molt one finger at a time. <laughs> Fucking disgusting. It's like when you would pull put glue in your hand as a child and then wait till it hardened then pull it off. There are a few sensations as weird as peeling off a full layer of your skin and feeling nothing. <laughs> it happened to me and it takes like two weeks. I just remember not even being able to sleep because I was in so much discomfort. Oh, it's excruciating. You can't take a bath because any hot water is so painful. And it was right before I had to go to Edmonton and open two shows. <laughs> oh no. And as a result, I just couldn't rehearse them. <gasps> and they were <laughs> awful. <laughs> <laughs> it was just so and I, I like I did the timeline and I was like I should be healthy enough to get by on like the day I have to get on the flight and go to Edmonton oh I was my like God. great cute wonderful and then totally unrelated everyone from that flight got hand fit and mouth disease it was the weirdest thing I just can't wait for my friend's kid to get old enough that I can give him like a really big guilt trip about it you know, that's 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 what i'm looking forward to that's he was five at the time no he was a baby well he's responsible you make choices even as a child this is maybe tmi but did it like fuck up your nails afterward like my my oh i don't remember this was a weird thing for me where like months later I guess like at the nail beds on my fingernails and toenails, as the nails started to grow out, it was like they had this weak patch and I had to let the nails completely grow out. And I was having to just, well, I was just having to use nail polish for months because my nails were otherwise just like kind of flaking off. It was disgusting. Oh, just like brittle little. um. Yeah. Oh, God. I don't know if that happened to me, but I'm going to assume it did. And I'm just blocking it out. So it was like a full six months before like the final after effects of it were, were totally gone. Oh, yeah. It had quite a shadow. Mm -hmm. And I remember at my job at the time, I was like, I'm not sick per se. Like I want to come in. I literally anything I touch will get this. And I look like a true monster. Yeah. So we have a lot of disease in common we do that's exciting <laughs> that's nice very topical literally skin pun <laughs> johnny is very on brand you can't see johnny but let me paint this creamsicle picture for you johnny famous for writing a play called red-headed stepchild has red hair also a red beard uh -huh, uh -huh. johnny's in an orange room with an orange <laughs> doll and at least four four framed posters <laughs> that have orange in them <laughs> yeah that's all true and that is in fact not just a doll that is a custom-made muppet of myself who, uh, uh, who go on it it was a, a birthday present years ago from my husband there was a time where you could order through fao schwartz muppets that uh you could custom design to resemble yourself or someone else or i guess a muppet of your own imagination and uh yeah that's muppet johnny i love it so much do you remember how you reacted when you got it oh i was just i was it, it remains the greatest gift i've ever received and can ever even conceive of i mean all i've ever wanted is to be a muppet <laughs> and now you are 
you've got competition mm -hmm. but i ask because to me it's, it's a bit like like a character like you know when you go to canada's wonderland or something and someone draws your character as a child mm -hmm. and, or as an adult and then you get it and you're like oh my god is this how people see me did you have any i mean it's a very attractive muppet but did you have any moments of like oh no i mean i don't know no i was very flattered by it and i i think the likeness is fun and i understand the choices Perfect. you know certainly like the orange hair i get and i get doubling down and being like no his skin is also orange like obviously like yes this is my brand yes i'm committed to this color I'm a wall of color, sure. I remember the things though that I did think about it was I was like, okay, if I'm going to be able to match with this Muppet at times, it does mean like I can really only match with him if I'm wearing my glasses, which I don't always. Right. And he's clean shaven, which, you know, at the moment, I'm definitely not. So I'm like, okay, yeah. we're not a great match if I've got a beard. Uh, and, I, and I did, I think for a while, I was keeping a blazer around in the closet that I thought was like a passable match for the one that he's got. Because <laughs> it's like, yeah, if you're going to do it, you really want to be like serving the same look. And by do it, do you mean like performing sort of a, a ventriloquist act? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm... I am I'm no ventriloquist, but I certainly have been on stage with a Muppet in the past singing It's Not Easy Being Orange or, you know, whatever, as one would. As one would. As one does. If, if I had my own Muppet, the things I would involve it in, and we'll leave it at that. <laughs> now, Johnny, the, re the reason... The reason why you're here is because not only do we have a bevy of contagious diseases in common, mm -hmm. but we are also big old queers. True. And this podcast is called You Made Me Queer. And this is because thanks to science, we now know that so many things can make us queer. When you and I were young, we didn't know. It was just sort of like the wilderness where you were allowed to do and eat and touch anything, be in a, you know, like a big pig pile with all those kids and their weird skin diseases at the sleepover. There was no concern. But now we know through science, so many things can make us queer. For example, listening to the first verse of Whitney Houston, So Emotional, getting too many Jeopardy questions right in a row. All these things can make you queer. We know that. Uh -huh. But what I want to know is for you, now that you're here, you have this incredible opportunity to blame whatever's responsible. Johnny Walker, who made you queer? What's difficult is only pointing my finger at one culprit, you know, <laughs> when I think there's, you know, there are these, um, these queer catalysts coming at you from every direction. I've been doing this winter like a big Buffy rewatch. And uh, I actually, like a few years ago, I threw a party at Glad Day called Buffy Made Me Gay. <laughs> and rewatching it, I'm sort of like, yeah, I can see an argument for that for sure. But then it's like, is it that? Is it, you know, Aladdin's smile? Oh. <laughs> right? Oh, that one, that hits home. Right? Yeah. I will come back to that. But I will start by confessing, I don't know Buffy. Like I've seen an over the shoulder episode or like as I'm walking through the room, but somehow I missed the whole thing. So mm. can you summarize Buffy for me in, I don't know, truncate it? Well, I mean, she's the vampire slayer. That's the key message. You know, she one one girl in all the world, a chosen one. And, and yeah, it's all about this teenager who has a secret identity that she's initially only entrusting to a few key individuals and 
it's a source of power for her, but also a bit of a source of shame. It involves who she's able to date and who she's attracted to. She nearly spills the bean to her mom several times, and it's sort of funny and embarrassing and awkward and tense, and then eventually, sort of in the worst possible way, her mom finds out, and it just, you know, is this really heart-wrenching conversation, and she's like, have you ever tried not being the slayer? And then as it goes on, they end up, you know, certain characters come out as queer as it goes on, but that doesn't even seem to me as queer as just like the central metaphor of being this sort of like not that popular teenage girl who slays vampires by night and like flunks out of cheerleaders by day was being a vampire slayer something she was born into or did someone choose her to be a vampire slayer yeah it's um they are the chosen ones the slayers although it's not really clear who or what is choosing them there is this council of watchers who are these white mostly male british authority figures who impart all of this wisdom and tell them what they have to do and sort of instruct them and seem to have like the full scoop on why they're a slayer and what it all means but it's just this inherent ability uh with a bevy of related superpowers that just seems to occur and you've just gotta you don't have any choice about it yourself You've just got to roll with the punches, literally. I feel like that's a trope I've seen a few times. Like, I'm thinking of the X-Men movies where Mm -hmm. I think they directly play on, like, the coming out scenes where these people have this big secret that is something exciting, but also a source of shame, like you said. Yes, and and I'm 100% sure that Brian Singer stole that scene from that episode. Really? Yeah, it's the identical thing. The shade of it all. And in both cases, it's a clear metaphor for somebody coming out. And revealing themselves as superior to everyone around them just kidding (laughs) well i mean homo superior if we're going to talk about the x-men i don't want to shade the x-men because they also definitely made me queer and are super important i will throw shade at brian singer absolutely because he's trash and uh those movies aren't that great the i I, i'm more about the the 90s fox x-men cartoon that is my jam oh yes i remember because i also had the action figures for some of those characters i had so many oh my god and they're they were so anyway We'll, we'll get there in a second but you know how kids like sort of famously mash the ken and barbie together and that's how they learn about bodies and uh-huh. science for me it was wolverine and gambit and cyclops were my two faves very sean cody yeah yes that's right they were very taut individuals and the action figures were hard plastic so they couldn't bend that much but i did find a way to manipulate them into some truly romantic positions oh yeah so i guess x-men those are x-men right yeah they help make me queer absolutely i think for me like i definitely had a real fascination with nightcrawler he had the like a sort of abba vest jumpsuit right yes 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 and you know is like blue and has a tail like is Totally weird looking, but also pretty sexy in his way. And does Nightcrawler even have like a professed gender identity in that? I think Nightcrawler is male. Okay. I would say. And and German. Oh. <laughs> uh, played by Alan Cumming in one of those movies, actually, <gasps> which is like pretty fabulous. And Ooh, nothing queer about him. Yeah, no, I mean, there's a, we're just like really going through the list of people. Like, I feel like seeing Alan Cumming in the costume from Cabaret as the MC on the Rosie 
O'Donnell show, like, also made queer. <laughs> That's like, I feel like you just recited a spell <laughs> that made everyone who heard it gayer by association. Yeah, any anybody who knows what I'm talking about, and I think there's some people who do, they, they get it. <laughs> but none of these were even the thing that I was thinking about. This is just, this is what I'm saying. There's so many. Are you going to get so back to much. Aladdin's smile, or should we talk about that now? Let's, oh yeah, let's, let's, uh, let's linger on that smile. <laughs> can I, can I guess the moment that really like lit your bulb? Please, hit me. Is it, do you trust me? Ooh. Do you remember that one? Uh, yeah, right before A Whole New World, right? There's some moment though that I'm picturing where he's still, I mean, yeah, that's, that's a very romantic, beautiful moment. And that song is a bop where he's still in his though, like street rat, open vest, shirtless look. And he has this kind of shy thing where he also, I feel like in a real sort of like Instagram gay thirst trap way, it's like gets like one shoulder up, exposes an armpit and then just sort of smiles. It's like that little shy smile, look at my body moment. Yeah, he's very, he's very, don't look at me, but, but I'm wearing this open vest and his arms are always up in his hair. Yeah, it's like, oh, I didn't even notice that I'm not really wearing clothes. That's weird that you brought that up. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh, this body? Oh, it must just be from climbing up the stairs all day. I don't know how I stay so fit. I eat whatever I want. Ugh. Yeah, he's great. He does spend the majority of that story catfishing most people around him. But he does come around at the end. Yeah, he, I mean, also, though, he's living in a very unjust society as like a very marginalized person. And you gotta, I mean, part of me respects the hustle as well. Yeah, and good on you, boy, for getting those squatters right and getting up in that penthouse. Yeah, it's just like, your life fucking sucks. You've been given no opportunities. Snatch that lamp, fool those rich jerks, like... Get it, get it, honey. Get it, girl. Sure. You get on that carpet. Yeah, you know what? I don't hate. And and I had legit, legit crushes on Disney's Aladdin. For sure. Yeah. I mean, don't get don't get me started on Disney's Robin Hood. <gasps> Wasn't even human being. Wait, those are all anthropomorphic animals, right? Yeah, yeah. All right, let's okay, so tell me more. Let's go down this avenue. He was a fox. And he was a fox. <laughs> This might not uh, translate to podcast, but that was some wordplay that Johnny um, emphasized by doing a special facial expression. <laughs> <laughs> well, all of my facial expressions are pretty special, <laughs> but um, he was voiced by the late, great Brian Bedford, who was a Stratford Festival superstar. Oh, so CanCon. fun little CanCon there. Uh, yeah, great British-Canadian actor. And there was just something so charming and i mean he's yeah as he he does have the face of a fox but there was something very handsome about him there was a scene very early in that movie where i remember there's this like little boy rabbit and he has some kind of encounter with robin hood and then robin hood gives him his hat yeah, I remember that. And he like puts his hat on this little rabbit kid's head. I just remember watching it as a little kid being like, that fucking rabbit doesn't even know how lucky he is right now. Like he doesn't even know. It was like very George Michael father figure moment for you. Yeah, I was just like, I just, yeah, I want that hat. <laughs> I don't know why. Put that hat on my head, please. Oh no, I don't know what these feelings mean, but I want that hat. You want that hat. Shoot, that's real good. So, okay. So I feel like this is all Steering slowly in the direction okay. toward which I was thinking in the realm of children's cinema. I was just talking to my friend about this the other day, and I watched a lot of musicals as a kid. 
a lot of musical film. And I mean, there you go, right? Like, <laughs> there's nothing more queer. And I realized that sort of the avenue that I entered was that I watched, there were certain movies that I watched that all kids watched, that all kids at least that I knew from my generation. You know, you got sat down in front of Wizard of Oz, Mary Poppins, Bedknobs and Broomsticks. Yep, 100%. And, you know, all fabulous in their own way. You know, and a great introduction to, you know, Angela Lansbury, Julie Andrews, Judy Garland. Like, we're getting some real, like, queer icon heavy hitters here. And uh, as a result of those movies, I remember as a child just interpreting that a musical film was by definition a kid's movie. Oh, interesting. Because I was like, these movies are all absolutely like family, children entertainment, and they're full of singing and dancing, right? which is very fun. And so the next logical step for me then was like, okay, so if I want to watch Saturday Night at the Movies on TVO, and we're going to see Funny Face or Singing in the Rain, to me, those were all movies for me as a little kid oh right so okay you're like this is appropriate for me to sit down and watch yeah and so just like watching lots of fred astaire and gene kelly which led to six years in tap i was <laughs> gonna ask you okay so then you started <laughs> dancing yeah i mean i don't know if ever particularly well but that was certainly yeah it went on for a while and did include once and this i mean there are just things from my childhood that i can't believe that this was I was like who signed off on this <laughs> who was laughing behind my back like I think near the end of my tenure as a as a tap student we had one year where the class was like our my class was considered quite good and the big our big number that we had received some level of acclaim for was obviously in the navy <laughs> oh, no by the village people how, wait how, hang on a second how many boys were in your class you could also ask the question how many boys were in the dance school and the answer was me <laughs> which my parents sold to me as a good thing because they were like you'll be the star of every routine because you're the only boy yeah. and i was like that's kind of cool in retrospect that's some real bullshit because like <laughs> there were like there were girls because we're way better dancers than me but you know i was just male mediocrity at its best being like guess oh and you know what the first routine we ever did was aladdin and guess who got to be aladdin you i was aladdin because what a smack if they were like mm, johnny you can be a boo and then they just like throw sideburns <laughs> on one of the girls or something like a cybern wig. I mean, there were probably girls in the class who could like pass as Aladdin more than I could. Sure. <laughs> but that's what happened. And then, <laughs> sure. yeah, we performed in the Navy on an outdoor stage at Queen's Park and it was Pride Weekend. <laughs> but <laughs> I was like 12 years old and I was dressed as a little sailor. Like what? <laughs> did your... Did... <laughs> I have, I have so much to ask. Did your parents go to this performance? Yeah. How was that? It just seemed like nobody got it. Oh, we didn't read. No. Okay. I think everyone was sort of like, this is a nice like event for the community. They were like, ooh, a boy. I wonder which girl he's dating in the troupe. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Very that. Very that. And meanwhile, Johnny with like a sparkler in either hand, just tapping along, saluting. But then, you know, you think about it and like so many people didn't walk that the village people were 
were gay. That's like Liberace. Right? Which seems insane now, but is supposedly the truth. Well, this was in the time when we didn't know. Yeah. But this is funny because this reminds me I'm from Oakville and I was the only boy in the Oakville Parks and Rec jazz class. And so I went, my mother took me to, there was like a dance supply store and we bought these little like crinkly sort of plastic ballet slippers basically for jazz, which is already like, girl, what do you, why are we getting ballet slippers for jazz? But as you were, and we did a recital to That's the Way I Like It. Uh, so little me just hip popping in his ballet flats. Gloria. Just exploding into queerness. Yeah, this is just where these these avenues take you. But did anything about that feel queer for you? Or were you just like, I love to dance? No, I just, and I mean, I don't know. I, I If anything, I feel like it was like, I was so bad at sports and... My parents wanted me to do like a physical activity and I was like, this is the one I can get away with. Yeah. I don't even know if I had like exactly a passion for dance. I thought it was kind of fun. I never felt like I was, um, it wasn't like, it wasn't my main thing. Cause I was also at the same time I was in this opera choir and that was like way more my jam. Oh, nice. Okay. So you were like trained in the triple threats. Ish, kind of. I, yeah, I was it's like a weird fact. Like I was like, yes, I was like singing with the Canadian Opera Company as a child, and and I think what, what I think one of the great tragedies of my life is that I had you know pre puberty a, a truly gorgeous train voice soprano voice, and I mean I like my singing voice as an adult. I think you know I'm fun at karaoke. I it's a good kind of crooning voice, but I cannot say that my adult singing voice is as glorious as my prepubescent like voice soprano voice which was stunning oh my god where can our listeners hear this can, can is it anywhere oh i don't think it is just in my memories oh my god yeah it's like that scene in Pollyanna when the light passes through the prism and just shoots out as a rainbow on the other side. It's like the sonic equivalent of that. What a what a what a queer image, right? There. <laughs> I know. Oh my god. Haley Mills, a prism, a rainbow, and a boy contralto. We're done here. That's all you need. That's all you need. But yes, so like that's these are just some of the avenues that I think like an early overexposure to musical films created for me. And the thing was like I got so into musicals and I would go to the Rogers video store and I would just go through the musical aisle and end up just like renting everything that was there getting a lot of Barbara Streisand. So, like, I feel like I'd seen Yentl, you know, at a young age more times than is normal. But there's certain things too where it's like some musicals absolutely are not intended for small children. And I was renting like Cabaret and Gypsy and these things with like very adult themes because like I liked all of the like singing and dancing and the glitz and the glamour and then you know like the Nazis would murder someone I'd be like uh or like West Side Story did you I, watch I, like, these alone or was do you, would your family watch these with you I was often watching them alone yeah I remember like being in the basement of my parents house watching West Side Story by myself and crying yeah. and then my dad is a musician and so he sort of had an appreciation I feel like for from kind of like a music 
musical perspective on a lot of those things. Oh, nice. And he had been in some musicals when he was in high school. He was in like uh, Bye Bye Birdie and Guys and Dolls and Gypsy. And he like had the scripts from them still. So I would like watch those ones and read along with the scripts and I would sort of learn all the words to the songs. And then it was in the 90s there. And I feel like this is a real, real big culprit. There was a TV movie version of Gypsy starring Bette Midler. And there was a time when I watched it like every weekend. Whoa. And it's just all about, you know, I mean, it's about a stage mom, but it's also about, you know, one of the most famous burlesque queens in history. And it's about how old school burlesque came to be and what that was all about. And I just feel like I knew what burlesque was as a small child. Do you know that's really funny? Because I talked to someone else for this podcast, this comedian in New York, and he was telling me about the film The First Wives Club, mm. which he watched. And he's like, that is not a kid's movie. But as a eight-year-old, everything in that made sense to me. And I feel like it's a similar thing where who, who knows why, because you have to kind of carve your own niche out maybe more mm-hmm. than others who slide into a heteronormative experience. Bette Midler is the common denominator here as well. That's right. She's like the avatar mm-hmm. for the queers to, you know, like astrally project themselves into. And they just, they sneak her to us through Hocus Pocus and then it's just a slippery slope. That's right. They're like, it's a kid's movie. And she's like, little queer boy, I've come for you. You're safe with me. Mm -hmm. Take my hand. 100%. She has the do you trust me Aladdin moment. (laughs) Yeah, I get that. So like even when you're watching like things with really weighty themes, it still feels like there was no moment as a child when you were like, I probably shouldn't be watching this. I should just go put in a cartoon. You were just like, I got to figure out what it's like to be in East Berlin having an abortion. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Because one day that might be me. Yeah. And just getting these big, doses of these divas these sort of like otherworldly goddesses oh yeah and you know i i remember being in elementary school and i was in some after school program and one of the counselors or whatever was just i think trying to make conversation with me and he was like oh like who are your favorite actors like who are your favorite movie stars and i remember starting to answer the question and being like And I was just like, that's a stupid question. Like, I don't know. Everybody's favorite movie stars, Judy Garland, (laughs) Julie Andrews, Bette Midler, Barbara Streisand. Just like the the movie stars, the people that we all know. Like, what do you think? The people that any child is going to be into. That's right. And it was a weird thing where like, as I was giving that answer, I was like looking at his face. And as this little child, I was like, there's something wrong about my answer that I can't quite put my finger on. But I can tell that like this, the answer I'm giving is weird. And I was like, do I know any movie stars who are boys? And I was like, I don't know if I do. <laughs> I was like, oh, maybe Fred Astaire? Fred Astaire. Was that the right answer? Does that count? <laughs> you know, one of those boys who taps mm-hmm. the stars of the day in the 80s, the real heartthrobs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that experience a lot as a child, starting to respond authentically to something and then watching like the face contort where they're like, 
what? And then you're like, oh, 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 no. I mean, I love the maple leaves or like whatever, like hard left turn you would take. Yeah, that was so hard. And I feel like that's something that it's hard to relate to, I think, for if, if you haven't like had the experience of being closeted at some point, right? And I think people don't necessarily always get that it's like you're hiding so much more than just your sexuality. Like it's, um, it's just sort of like, spreads into every part of you and there's like all of these weird things preferences and likes that you end up also disguising and sublimating and hiding in in so many ways and like one that i feel like is so funny for me to get back to buffy please i wish you would and i feel like now people watch it and it's just like yeah it's such a queer show you know and there was like a lesbian relationship on it that was like really groundbreaking for the time and there's all the and the metaphors feel pretty obvious and it just in general i feel like it's such a celebrated show now but when i mean i was watching it as it aired you know in the 90s early 2000s and it was this really cult show and all the other kids i knew were watching dawson's creek and they thought it was so weird that i watched buffy and i never even like had other i had maybe one or two other friends in high school who watched it like i couldn't i I remember being so frustrated i was like this is like the best show and i can't even talk to anyone about it because nobody else is fucking watching it yes And and i was like i like it because it's really funny and the writing seemed really clever to me and it was felt sort of satirical and subversive and that it was sort of taking these horror tropes and turning them on i mean just you know the central image of it is what if, you know, the blonde teenage girl being chased by the monster through the dark alley turns around and kills the monster? And I was like, yes, that's so delicious. That's so fun. Obviously, I want to see that. And there was also, I was very interested in her sort of sometimes romantic interest, the vampire Spike would often be resplendently shirtless and had a crazy torso that I liked to look at. But at the time, nobody believed me that it was like a good show. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I would try to tell people, I was like, I think the show is actually like pretty well written for like a teen show. And they would be like, that's that's absurd. And this was sort of like a pre-internet time too, where like now it's so easy to find those sub communities mm-hmm. and be like, oh my God, this, uh, this person in Taiwan also loves Buffy or whatever. Cause I remember being in high school and finding somehow through like someone who was a friend of my brother's introduced me to Ani DeFranco and finding Ani DeFranco and being like, oh my God, like I need to share this with someone and trying to get my friends on board. And they were just like, oh, we don't like it that much. Yeah. And just being like, I'm the only person who knows about Ani DeFranco. Oh, it was such a weird and lonely feeling. I know. And then the thing that people, and I mean, I don't know if you had this experience, but the thing that people kept coming back to with with Buffy with me is they would be like, oh, you just like that show because you think Sarah Michelle Gellar is hot. (laughs) Busted. And at the time I was like, yeah, sure, you're right. Yes, that works. Sure. I mean, I'm sure like many people were just into Ani DeFranco because she was hot, right? Like, it's sort of like, yeah, I've got a crush on her. That's what's going on. Right. That's that's what this is about. And then also, I wonder if like 10% of my brain, I mean, I was pretty much over the, the peak of Gay Mountain by that point and, and just sliding on down the other side. But I'm maybe a part of my brain was like, maybe that is why you like her. Mm. Maybe you do have a crush on her and you just like alternative women. Yeah. I mean, I, I went for it. I was like, I'll put pictures of her out in my locker. We yeah. can... We can play that game if that's the game that we're going to play. But at the time, I was like, there's a pretty girl on every TV show and every movie. 
why would I watch? Why would I be so devoted to this one TV show? Because it has like a pretty girl in it. That doesn't even make any <laughs> sense. To I was like, I don't. I was like, is this what? Is this what heterosexuality is? Because like, what? Right. I don't even get it. It was that YMCA village people in the Navy blindness when they're just like, we can't <laughs> see what's actually happening here, which is some queerness is afoot. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, that also reminded me. You tapping reminded me of, and I'll tell this very quickly. I took singing lessons from this man. And his other student was another gay boy who would end up to go and become my high school boyfriend. But they had the two of us as our our crush was sort of blooming between the two of us secretly. In a little recital, we sang, there's nothing like a dame from South Pacific. (laughs) (laughs) And that's when I knew I had a crush on this guy. That is oh, so no. funny. I know. That is what a song to be singing. There are no books <laughs> like a dame and nothing looks. And I'm just like, I don't know what the song is about because I am checking out this boy over here. No. Oh, my God. What a what a way to sort of to try like one final explanation of heterosexuality. <laughs> right. Like, listen, kid, Sing this. this is the deal. See? And my dead eyed performance convinced them that I was beyond salvation. Where, I mean, meanwhile, I was, you know, across town with the soundtrack to South Pacific on cassette tape singing along to I'm gonna wash that man right out of my hair (laughs) which is a better number it's quite frankly a better number we were like the mice in somewhere out there just being like I got your back I see you and now here we are connected on Zoom. Can you imagine if instead they had had you duets doing I'm going to wash that man right out of my hair, <laughs> just as these like gay children? <laughs> They're like, listen, we cannot, we cannot stop this beat and we're just going to let them go. <laughs> oh, that would have been so funny. Just like how, how like deeply uncomfortable that whole audience would be like watching that go down. And I was, and we don't have time for this story, but at the time I lived in Steeltown, Ohio on the Ohio River. So this just would have been like jaw drop, jaw snaps off, jaw rolls around on the floor. Did you did you get it out? Do you have any beef left about what made you queer? You know what? I, I feel like I have a sad tale. Oh, go on. Sad shading that I feel like is connected to all of this is like I was so into all of the singing and the dancing and the musicals and all of that. And I remember I, I, I was auditioning to go to an arts high school. And I went to their open day in grade eight, and I was 100% planning to audition for the musical theater program. Was this ESA, Etobicoke School of the Arts? It was indeed ESA. Because I was like, I've, you know, I've got six years of tap. I've been singing, like, with uh, the COC. I've acted in school plays. Like, I feel like I may as well just, like, do the whole thing. And I went to their open day, and they were like, here's the presentation from the musical theater department. And they sang a Cole Porter song, Steam Heat. Oh, sure. Yeah, got the steam heat. And then every time they got to, but I need your love to keep away the cold, they all like bent over with their asses out to the audience and just like bent over and sang through their asses. (laughs) And I was just like, I was sitting in the audience like petrified. I was looking at it and I was just like, I don't know why, but this is too far for me. Like this is the thing that's over the line and is too gay for me to handle. And I feel like this is just like watching my own impending social suicide. And I did not have the strength or the courage at the time to do that audition. So I switched to like 100% because of watching that musical number. I did drama 
instead. Oh my god. So steam heat as presented by the students of the Etobicoke School of the Arts almost made you not queer. Yeah, I think it like sent me random running into the closet. Oh my god. And turn me into a playwright instead of a triple threat. Oh my god, isn't that that's so funny? That's your sliding doors moment. Yeah, oh totally. Singing through the a-hole. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And what an image. Cole Porter was just was just a bridge too far for me for some reason. I mean, he did also write You're the Top, which it's like, Cole, a bit of poetry, please. <laughs> Dial it down. Even for the 20s, that was a bit OTT. Okay, so on the docket for 2021, young male-identifying children singing, I want to wash that man right out of my hair. <laughs> Just in a parade. Yeah. Listen, I could talk to you about this in, to eternity, but we're running out of time, so do you want to play a game? Yeah, sure. Oh, thank God. This game is called Queer, Queerer, Queerist. Queerer, Queerist. I named it that because it's very difficult and very fun to say. So these rules are very easy. I'm going to give you three things. You have to put them in order from least queer to most queer and tell me why. Mm -hmm. Any questions? No, I'm ready. Great. Tiny pencils, like the kind you'd use at Ikea or mini golf. Okay, yeah. You know, I chose this question before, but this is on the nose. Movie starring anthropomorphic animals, such as Milo and Otis or the Disney Plus classic snow buddies so that that kind of anthropomorphized okay or it could be that fun fact my aunt uh has watched snow buddies she told me on the phone the other day no less than 10 times these are five dogs who play in the snow i heard a lot of dogs died on the set (laughs) just carnage (laughs) uh the third thing is the sound made when revealing a daily double on jeopardy do you know that noise? Dodo, 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 dodo. Okay, so absolutely. Okay, so wait, are we going from, are we starting with the most queer or the least queer? Well, I'll ask you, as a playwright, Johnny, what do you think would be the most effective beginning? Well, I guess we have to start with the least queer, that, probably. That's a pretty... We're, we're building towards a climax, right? That's a good answer. Um. Okay, I'm going to say, I'm going to say like the Snow Buddies and adjacent movies. As, as the least queer. Does this include Robin Hood? No, okay. See, if we're talking, if it's a cartoon and it's a sort of like a little proto-furries thing, queer AF, absolutely. <laughs> but if it's more of a like a look who's talking now or like a, a, a cat that talks kind of thing. Oh, it's so hard though. I think they're all in the genre. Mm, it's But I feel like this is, this is really difficult. This is really difficult because I think, a, yeah, a look who's talking now to me feels like extremely straight culture. Mm. Whereas if we were talking about like Salem the Talking Cat on Sabrina, like what could possibly be more queer? So it's like with a big asterisk next to it though, if we're talking about like, I'm just gonna say the movie Nobody's which I caught part of at my in-laws house one time that feels to me like you know straight culture at its worst um <laughs> yeah I'll, I'm here for that so the the, the in-between one is uh I'm gonna say those little pencils okay tell me why because okay because it's like I mean what is more basic and and vanilla and you know the default option than a pencil right like it's 
it's like, yes, okay, we were all given a pencil. Maybe some of us would prefer like a pen or a highlighter or something, <laughs> right? Like it's the sort of, it's the like, oh, I, ass- I assumed you're a pencil, right? Like there's something just so straight about it. Oh, so it's the heteronormativity of the writing utensil world. The pencil itself is, yeah, is is just the most like cis hat of, <laughs> um, of the writing implements. The thing, the fact that we have decided though that like for special circumstances, we need this tinier pencil is like a level of preciousness and and specialization that is instantly just a little bit queer though. It's just a little tease of sort of like, oh, well, if you're going to play mini golf, a regular pencil simply won't do. That's it. It's very thoughtful. It's very contextual. And I love the idea that for any task, they're like, a, a whole pencil? Are you crazy? No, get the small pencil. Yeah. It's just like, you know, and it's and it's just like, I'm here for a good time, not a long time. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, 100%. And then for me, I don't know, it's, it's hard to say why, but on such an intuitive level, the queerest thing is just that daily double, like, mm-mm, 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 mm-mm. He j- when, he, when you just did it, <laughs> you your shoulders were like pulsing like a hot little shimmy. <laughs> because it's, you know, it's this special little surprise ready to burst out of the closet at a moment's notice. <laughs> it's true. And just make things like twice as interesting as they were going to be. And, you know, you know, it's coming. You're trying to be like, which one's it going to be? Like, which which boy in my class is finally going to like be the one? Because you'd like, it's a numbers game. It's going to come up. We all know it's coming. And like, mm-mm, 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 mm-mm. <laughs> A hundred percent. It also, I've always found, (laughs) it goes on a little too long. Yeah. It's like a couple extra pulses where you're like, oh, it's like very in your face. And there's something about any recognizable piece of game show music that I think is just automatically kind of queer. That is just queer culture to me for some reason that's a, a rabbit hole i could go down yeah that obs- obsessive almost like savant style knowledge matched with costumes and tall women yeah mm-hmm. yeah a barker's beauty uh, a vanna white mm-hmm, mm-hmm. let's hear it for tall women yeah yeah <laughs> they, they don't get enough credit and there we are okay so to summarize least queer anthropomorphic films with an asterisk pointing directly to the tight pants of a foxy robin hood <laughs> number two tiny pencils number three did can you do it i like the way you do it mm. oh my god i also love the like you know you know who else I want to book is the sound designer for Jeopardy. Yeah, I mean... What shrooms are you taking? I like that it's also like that was a one and done job. Like that was a decision that was made a long time ago <laughs> and there's never been a reason, you know? Bane yeah. broke, don't fix it. No, that, that job is taken, booked. Well, those are your three and you're absolutely correct. So congratulations. What do I win? You win the knowledge that I walked into this Zoom call pretty queer. And this conversation has made me so much queerer than I could have imagined. Mm. I'm confused, I'm furious, and I'm grateful. Yeah, I'm so sorry for you. Oh my God, thank you for joining <laughs> me. And I'm also, the orange cones in my eyes are burnt out from the wall behind you. Yeah. So I'm just seeing whatever colors are opposite. That's what all the boys say. <laughs> Did I burn out your cones, boys? (laughs) Sorry about it. 
Um, you were fantastic. Thank you for sharing these deep, dark secrets with me. And is there anything you want to plug? You can keep track of my various comings and goings at uh, johnnywalkerartist.com. That's like, that's probably the best place. If I, usually if I'm doing something that I'm not too ashamed of, I'll put it up there <laughs> for the people to see. Perfect. Hit that home page. But also, if you want to reach Johnny at home, his home phone number is 416. Could you imagine? I mean, it'd be nice to hear from you, symbol, you know. Just call him up. He is waiting for you. Pick up the phone. <laughs> He's one of those late night girls. I'm so lonely. <laughs> uh, anyway, thank you. I had such a great time. And uh, stay safe over there, hey? Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. Bye. Queer, queer, queer. Queer, 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 queer. Okay, that is our show. Again, as I told you before, stay tuned because we have a pretty fantastic guest next week and overall some big news coming up for You Made Me Queer. And uh, you're a part of it, just like you always have been and you always will be. Not monetarily, though. If you have anything you want the show or me to know, please write us at youmademequeer at gmail.com. We love to get your mail. We want more of it. We're desperate. We're uh, pulling that... (laughs) Garter up our thigh, inviting that wolf whistle in male form. No nudes, please. Please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. It helps us to be enjoyed by more people, and more, more, more is what we want. Okay, that's it for now. We'll be back next week with more You Made Me Queer, but in the meantime, cue credits. You Made Me Queer is created, produced, and edited by me, Trevor Campbell. Our theme song is by Critty. For more of her music, check out lavenderbruisers.bandcamp.com. Our website is youmademequeer.com. Our Instagram and Twitter handles are at youmademequeer. New episodes of You Made Me Queer come out every Thursday. And from the bottom of my big bent heart, thank you so much for listening. Until next time, remember, we're here, we're queer, and it's your fault.